0: The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know my people do not understand our sinful nation a people whose guilt is great a brood of evil doers children given to corruption they have forsaken the Lord they have spurned the holy one of Israel and turned their backs on him why should you be beaten any more why do you persist in rebellion Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds and bruises and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. Your country is desolate, your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Is anybody there? (laughs) This morning, we are starting a new series in our teaching program. And I'd just like you to have a look at the following phrases on screen and see where you think they might have come from. Where would you have expected to find these? Newspapers, newspaper headlines, yeah. Or possibly you'd have heard them on the radio, on TV reports or on television. All of them I think we could have found in our newspapers or on our news reports this week. City under siege, crops devastated by conflict, countryside laid waste, orphans abandoned in poverty, widows have to fend for themselves and of course that culture of corruption which has been so much in the news recently in relation to the beloved or the beautiful game. But actually, interestingly enough, you could just as well have found them two and a half thousand years ago if you'd read a newspaper in Isaiah's age. I don't think they had newspapers in Isaiah's age, but if there had been, then these are the sorts of phrases that would have been used about the state of human affairs in the Middle Eastern region. In fact, they were the sorts of phrases used by the prophet In particular, the prophet Isaiah, whom we're going to think about today. This is a modern um, uh, icon of Isaiah. Um, We don't know that he actually looked like that, but it's an illustration of someone who is typically conceived of as a messenger from God. And he holds in his hand a script or a manuscript Parchment. And on it, if you could see the words that were written, are uh, the phrases from the opening verses of Isaiah. And if you have your Bibles with you, you might just like to have Isaiah chapter 1 open in front of you on page 651. And in verse 2, we read, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. And that's exactly what's written on that manuscript in Isaiah's hand. Hear, O heavens, and give ear. O Earth, So as we think about Isaiah, let's just start with a quiet moment of prayer and ask God to open our ears and our eyes. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we have the Old Testament as well as the New to speak to us of you and of all that you intend for your relationship with your people. And we pray this morning that as we listen to and read and consider the words of the book of Isaiah, so we will hear what you want us to hear, and that we will allow your words to take root in our hearts and to bear fruit in our lives, for we ask it So, clearly, as we begin a series of reflections in the book of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah over the next few weeks in our Sunday morning worship, it's perfectly reasonable to ask ourselves whether a book that was written over two millennia ago has much to say to us in the 21st century. But hopefully, looking at the headlines, which are actually drawn from the text in the first chapter of Isaiah, It's not difficult to see that some of these spiritual and social ills that we're so familiar with today in our society were just as real and present in Isaiah's time. War, oppression, injustice, materialism, greed, selfishness, these are all problems in every age. And God's Holy Spirit can speak prophetically into every age through the messengers that he has appointed, like Isaiah and the other Old Testament prophets. And what I'd like us to do in this opening reflection in our series is to set the scene for what will follow over the coming weeks as we look at various passages from the book of Isaiah. I'd like us to get some sort of overview of the message and themes that Isaiah wanted to communicate into his time and place And I'd like us to think about how his words can still speak to us in our time and place today, challenging us to grow in our faith and to become more committed followers of God. Well, if we wanted to think about why study Isaiah, then clearly there is the relevance factor that we could point to. But more importantly than that, perhaps, a central theme of Isaiah is the character of God. And as we read Isaiah, we have a chance to learn more about what God is like. We heard in setting the scene something about what God is like and what God intends for us. One of the things he's very good at is clearing up a mess, putting things straight again. All scripture has the potential to open our eyes to God and to draw us closer to him if we will just allow God's spirit to guide and inspire us. And prophets like Isaiah were essentially men and women whom God chose to bring close to himself, giving them a vision and a message which they could then proclaim on God's behalf so that others too could be brought closer to God. And if Isaiah is the first prophet you've ever come across, then can I just encourage you to go to the most important page in any Bible, which you will find right at the beginning. It's called the Contents page. Um, actually, it's not very easy to find in this book. Anybody found it yet? Contents page. Romans 7. Romans 7. Thank you, yes, okay. The contents page has a list of, as you would expect, the contents of the Bible divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you look at the top half, you'll see that there are two columns with lots of names of books. And in the second column, find Isaiah, it's the fourth one down. And from Isaiah downwards, is pretty much a list of prophets. Not sure perhaps you were aware that there were so many prophets in the Old Testament, but they are a really important component. Their writing, their messages were an important component of the Bible, and one that we tend to neglect a bit because it seems a bit um, old fashioned, difficult to understand, and yet. God spent so much time calling and anointing individual men and women. There aren't any women mentioned in that list, but there are female prophets in the Old Testament. God spent so much time calling and appointing individuals who would be his messengers. Men and women whom whom he drew close to himself in order that their message could draw others close to God. And prophets are God's messengers not just in ancient times, but they have relevance for us here and now. So listening to what Isaiah shares of God's character can inform our own understanding of the God we are seeking to follow. And as we've already seen, Isaiah's analysis of his own age, even in this opening chapter, bears a number of parallels with the state of humankind and the world as we know it today in our own time. Isaiah highlights those familiar dangers of people looking to worldly things, power, wealth, status, even religion itself. He highlights the danger of people seeking to place their trust in these things or give their allegiance to these things instead of looking to God as the source of grace and daily provision. And in this accurate and Um, uh, almost forensic analysis of human intentions and behavior, Isaiah is utterly realistic about the effects of human sin, about the need for all people to be convicted of the power of sin in their lives, whether individually or as a nation, about the need to repent and turn back to God, and only in doing so then to be able to live lives that are forgiven restored and God-centred instead of self-centred. As we start to consider the themes in Isaiah's writing over the coming weeks, I think it's going to be helpful to have a little bit of historical background tucked under our belt. So we're going to take a quick look at how Isaiah's writings fit into the bigger context of history and the Bible. And we're going to start with what we know about Isaiah. And we know quite a lot. We know that he was probably born in the mid-8th century BC. We know that he began his ministry about 740 BC, the year that King Uzziah died. That's specifically mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6. And we know that he lived quite a good lengthy life well on into the next century, probably dying in about 680 having lived through the reign of four different kings, whose names were given in the opening verses. Have a look at them. King Uzziah, King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah. They were a bit of a mixed bag. Some were better than others, as is the nation in all ruling classes, I suspect. And They were all kings of Judah during Isaiah's lifetime. We know that Isaiah probably spent most of his time in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem. He was married and he had at least two sons because they get mentioned at one point in the book of Isaiah. And we know that the writings, the prophetic writings that are attributed to Isaiah span a 40-year period from about 740 to 701 BC. And those writings relate to a period of time for which we have historical evidence in other books of the Bible. There are two other books, um, Kings and Chronicles, in the Old Testament, which are historical and religious commentaries, and they overlap. So we learn about some of the kings in the books of Kings, not surprisingly, and Chronicles, the kings that Isaiah lived under. We don't tend to think about prophets nowadays, but in his prophetic role, we could sort of think about Isaiah as a historian or social commentator, a man who lived and wrote during a period of political and social turmoil in the life of God's people and of the wider region. We know that he served as a royal advisor or a counsellor, so his prophetic messages were probably heard by those who could respond and do something about them. And he does indeed deliver some probing messages on the current state of society and religion in the nation. So in some senses, he's a sort of theologian and a visionary who looks forward to a day when there will be a perfect state ruled by a perfect king. That's something about Isaiah, the person and his role. What about his place and time? What do we know about God's people or nation at that time in history? Well, here's a familiar map. Which part of the world is it? South America? The Middle East. It's a map we quite often see on our television screens. But this is the map as it would have looked two and a half thousand years ago. Once upon a time, there had been a unified kingdom of Israel, over which a great King David ruled. But that had been true 200 years before Isaiah. It represented a golden age in the history of God's people, but that was long over. After David came King Solomon, David's son, And though he was well-respected and extremely powerful, things did begin to fall apart by the end of his reign. And in time, the unified kingdom split into two. The northern kingdom of Israel, the blue part in the north, was made up of 10 of the original 12 tribes of Israel, while a smaller southern kingdom of Judah, kept the city of Jerusalem with its great temple, shown in yellow on your map. So despite their former glory, both Israel and Judah are now little buffer states between the greater powers of Syria and Assyria to the north and Egypt to the south. And these two little nations are surrounded by hostile neighbors. Not much changes, does it? over history. And it's worth remembering that political, religious, and military tensions in the Middle East have this very long and complex history that endures into our present day. The blue area, the northern kingdom of Israel, faded first. It gradually drifted away from true worship and service of God. And that was in spite of challenges from the prophet's of their day, prophets like Elijah and Elisha, Amos and Hosea, who were in that list that we looked at. They were faithful in communicating God's message to God's people in that northern kingdom of Israel. But it didn't stop continued decline. And eventually, the political and religious decline of that area led to it being conquered by its powerful neighbors, first Syria, then Assyria in 722. Happily, the southern kingdom of Judah in yellow survived for another century, enjoying security and prosperity under the rule of some good and godly kings like Uzziah and Hezekiah, who are mentioned by um, Isaiah. But Judah too suffered gradual and steady decline, as it increasingly ignored God and his call to faithfulness. We know that God had redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt under Moses. We know that he had made them a nation and taken them into a promised land. We know that he had given them the law But we also know that in spite of committing themselves in response to a life of obedience to God, they constantly reneged on their calling and their promises. And that has consequences, as the prophets continue to remind us. So as we read and listen to Isaiah's words throughout this series, we'll be seeing and hearing a man who was called and appointed by God to challenge the inhabitants of that southern kingdom of Judah in the face of their disobedience and their rebellion. His task was to warn them of the consequences of their actions if they continued to reject God's standards and failed to live up to his expectations. But what were the criticisms or charges or accusations levelled against Judah? What were the specific accusations of sinfulness and disobedience and rebellion that Isaiah brings against the people? Chapter one gives us some clear indications. And we might think about Judah's sinfulness as falling into three key areas. Firstly, their worship is shallow and superficial. Secondly, their greed and corruption are undermining society and its well-being. And thirdly, they are failing to protect the poor and the vulnerable, often characterised as widows and orphans. So what Isaiah is challenging is this huge credibility gap between the worship that people are offering and the lives they actually live. In verses 11 to 17 of chapter one, Isaiah speaks of how God is utterly sick of the animal sacrifices offered in the temple. He's fed up with the special religious feasts and festivals that are organized. He's tired of the showy and lengthy prayers that are offered. All these religious practices, however glossy, however frequent they are, are nothing in God's eyes if they are not backed up by a life of compassion and righteousness. It's the sincerity of the worshipper rather than the number of religious activities that's important. And the problem is that behind all this religious fervour lie entrenched attitudes of selfishness and a lack of compassion for others. Justice is neglected. Righteousness is ignored. Those with positions of power and authority abuse it. And bribery and corruption are rife throughout society. And as a consequence, the weak and the vulnerable in society are taken advantage of instead of being protected and provided for. Such rebellion against God's rule, such rejection of his standards, brings its own consequences. It leaves the nation of Judah and its inhabitants like a body that is sick From the sole of its foot to the top of its head, as Isaiah describes in verses 5 and 6, apparently without hope of any cure. But it's not just the people who are sick, the land too is sick. The desolation of the land through foreign invasion is described in verses 7 to 9. And in this opening chapter, it's not a pretty sight. We see how Isaiah catalogues the reasons for God's displeasure and anger against the rebellious nation he has so lovingly nurtured as his own chosen people. And that little note at the bottom is a reminder that because Prophetic writings in the Bible speak into every time. We have to ask ourselves that question, are we guilty of any of these charges? So the core message in Isaiah is a message about God's judgment. Isaiah is a book that unveils the full dimensions of God's judgment It's the longest book in the Bible, which is worth noting. There are 66 chapters. And the first 39 of these chapters are sometimes referred to as part one, the book of judgment. That's how important it is. It makes uncomfortable reading for us because we know that we too in our age can be accused of similar failures in our own time. How often as individuals and as a society do we fail to worship God in spirit and in truth? How often do we give in to the temptation of using our power and status for selfish ends? How often do we fail to care for the weak and vulnerable in our society in the way that God intended? Whether we're talking individually, whether we're talking as a church fellowship, whether we're talking as a community, whether we're talking as a nation. It's a serious, serious thing, judgment. And that's why so much of Isaiah and so much of the other prophets focuses on this. I don't, I don't know whether to say this, but I don't know what you have been thinking as you've watched the um, reports on the boats coming across the Mediterranean with refugees. But as I've watched them, I've been aware in my own mind and heart of quite a mixed reaction. A bit of me is very sympathetic, but there's a bit of me that lacks compassion. As I've thought about what the solutions might be, And I think for me, it's been a bit of a wake-up call in terms of how God speaks into our lives with a word of judgment. And I found myself reflecting on my own attitudes and my own lack of compassion or the inadequacy of what compassion I have in this situation. And you might like to think in your own life and in your own attitudes and your own behaviours. How might God be intervening with a word of judgement in your life? And what is your response to that? Whether it's to do with worship, whether it's to do with the pursuit of selfish goals, whether it's to do with lack of compassion for others. And if you have a sense that that is what God is speaking into your life at the moment through his spirit, then don't ignore it. Take note of it. Ask God to show you what it really means and what response he would have you have. And don't despair, because the book of Isaiah has another important message. Isaiah doesn't leave us with the first 39 chapters, the book of judgment. As we move into chapters 40 to 66, or part 2, we begin to hear a message of redemption and restoration, And chapters 40 to 66 are sometimes referred to as the Book of Comfort. There is another message alongside the message of judgment, sits a message of salvation. And even in chapter one, we get a hint of the possibility of redemption and restoration. And that was illustrated for us before the children left us this morning In verses 18 and 19, we read, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So God longs that his people should relate to him once again, as he'd always intended. And though God's judgment is a true and accurate analysis of our shortcomings, despair is not the final destination. There is hope, an opportunity for a fresh start, an invitation to allow God to wipe the slate clean, if we will only recognize our shortcomings and come to him to be healed. And if you thought there was a slightly downbeat start to our service through our opening hymns, dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. And the second song, can a nation be saved? Then it's worth remembering that sometimes it's good to have an opportunity for lament, for reflecting on our inadequacies, for allowing ourselves time to think about how we in our age fall short in so many different ways, in so many different areas. And for allowing space for God's spirit to draw us back to him in repentance, with lamentation, seeking mercy, And knowing forgiveness. So, as we work our way through our series on Isaiah over the coming weeks, we're going to see how a number of opposing and complementary themes emerge and weave together. There's the theme of God as judge, but also the theme of God as saviour. There's the theme of the conviction of sin, but also the theme of the comfort of forgiveness we shall be reminded of the opportunity and invitation to turn back to the Father in repentance and the chance to see life afresh through the eyes of faith, to recapture that first love. And if we have eyes to see, we might even glimpse unexpectedly the person of Jesus Christ in the later chapters of Isaiah because the ultimate reconciliation between human beings and God is only made possible in and through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Messiah, the suffering servant, Jesus, the Son of God, who gave his life that scarlet may be turned white as snow, that crimson might be washed away, And we have a visible symbol of that today in our communion service, as we shall see. Our opening words came from the last chapter of Isaiah, chapter 66, reminding us of a new heaven and a new earth. And the goal towards which the book of Isaiah steadily moves across its 66 chapters is indeed God's kingdom coming on earth. With its righteous ruler, Jesus as king, and his righteous subjects, his people. And though disaster may loom and destruction may befall God's people in the short and the medium term, and it will for the kingdom of Judah as for the kingdom of Israel and for the whole of God's people as they're taken into exile in Babylon. Even though that is their destiny for the short and the medium term, Isaiah is enthusiastic about stressing that beyond that lie God's perfect reign. There will be a day when God will restore the earth and human society in accordance with his divine ideals of truth, justice, and peace. There will be a day when all will give praise and glory to God for what he has accomplished in love and mercy. So as we read Isaiah, as we allow Isaiah's words to touch our hearts and our minds, as we allow the truths of Isaiah to embed themselves in our souls, I pray that his message of challenge and promise which is relevant to every age and to all peoples will be one that helps us to grow individually and together as God's
0: people here. Amen.